Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening. I'm glad you have tuned in to That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, I'm joined by Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Here on That's Truth, we set out to answer your questions with the Bible as our source of truth. Pastor, before we get to the topic for the evening, is it okay to have questions about biblical topics, or should we as Christians always know everything? Um, I think honesty demands that we face the reality that we all have questions at some time. Uh, especially in a modern day uh, when the Bible is often projected as an old archaic book and certain scientific facts are uh, brought to the attention of believers. Uh, in that area, often there are some questions that need to be cleared up. But as I've said on another program, uh, there can be no real, genuine, authentic conflict between Scripture and true science. But we will have issues, we will have questions, and we need to search the Bible to get a definitive answer because we need clarity. We're dealing with a matter that concerns our soul and our destiny, and we need uh, to be sure as to what we believe. So we will have doubts, we will have questions, but again, uh, searching the Bible, searching the Scriptures should be our solution to the problem. If this is your first time tuning into That's Truth, I can assure you that Pastor Dr. David Murphy is very well qualified and ready to answer your questions from the Bible. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English, Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology, Master's degree in Religion, Doctorate degree in Counseling, ongoing studies with the Blackford Counseling Center in England, has been married for over 36 years, was a public school teacher for four years, worked in a secular workplace as management for three years and marketing for four years, was involved with evangelism in Barbados for two years, was ministering and pastoring in St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and Antigua for over 30 years. I'm glad you've joined us here on That's Truth. Have you ever wondered why we go to church on the day that we do? Well, I'm glad that you're listening, because our topic this evening is dealing with the Sabbath. Pastor, before we talk about the Sabbath, can you define what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is... Um, commonly regarded as uh, Saturday uh, that's a day under the Old Testament economy that God um, instituted in connection with Israel Uh, so when we talk about the Sabbath we're not talking about Sunday Uh, there are some people who think that Sunday has become the Sabbath and that the church changed the Sabbath day which is the Saturday to Sunday that is not true Sunday and the Sabbath are two distinct uh, words, two different, two distinct concepts, and they represent two different covenants. Is it better or more holy to worship on one day over another? Well, if you take the Bible for what the Bible teaches, 
Paul makes it clear in the book of Colossians that um, we should not let people judge us in what particular day we worship on. Um, I don't think the day uh, makes anybody holy or sanctifies any particular person. As a matter of fact, I think for the believer, every day should be lived for the Lord. Uh, we should live every day as unto Him. We should not really make subtle distinctions in terms of days. But we we have devolved into uh, or evolved into a particular day on Sunday that the church worships on. But it's not a matter of the day that makes a person holy. Uh, we become holy through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Pastor Murphy, why is there so much confusion about this topic of the Sabbath? I think the basic confusion um, arises out of the fact that um, when you go into the Old Testament, it is clear that God's Old Testament people were given a specific day on on which to worship. Um, That was supposed to be a perpetual covenant with the nation of Israel. Um, When we come to the New Testament, uh, we have no directive in the New Testament to worship on that particular day. And, uh, but we do have incidences in the New Testament where the believers met on the first day of the week, etc., etc. So I think the change from one day of the Sabbath to Sunday, uh, which the church normally worships on, I think that creates confusion for people. They, they can't seem to understand uh, why there has been a change in day. But the part of the answer for that is comes back to the concept that it's an old covenant and a new covenant. And Second Corinthians chapter 3 uh, speaks to this matter very clearly and, and makes it abundantly clear that the old covenant has been done away with and God has established a new covenant. Just like the old covenant had a particular day that symbolized the uh, redemption of Israel, so the new covenant has a particular day that represents and symbolizes the resurrection of Christ. So I think the change from one to the other creates the confusion. And since there's no real clear verse in scripture that says you should worship on Sunday uh, I think that transition has created problems for some people Exodus 20 verse 8 says remember the Sabbath to keep it holy why did God give that command there are two matters that are linked with the Old Testament covenant uh, with Israel as to why they should keep the day first of all it has to do as a memorial to the creation that God uh, after he created it rested uh, on, on the seventh day. And then, s- secondly, he told them that it was to celebrate their redemption from Egypt, that they had redeemed, they were in bondage, and to memorize, memorialize that, that occasion, uh, the Sabbath was to be held to remind them of that redemptive factor. Similarly, uh, with the church. Uh, that's why the church observes Sunday, because it's a memorial unto Christ's resurrection. And also his resurrection is linked with our redemption. So in the case of Israel, those are the two reasons, the creation and redemption. And in case of the New Testament church, uh, the church worships because it celebrates our Lord's resurrection. Are we commanded to keep a particular day holy here in the New Testament time period? There is no command in Scripture in the New Testament to keep any particular day uh, holy. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, says that the believer has a right to exercise his conscience uh, in regards uh, to this matter. In Romans chapter 14 and verses 5 and following, uh, Paul said, Let no man judge you in respect to any particular day. 
So the believer has the, uh, to exercise his conscience uh, to, to decide on what particular day. So there's no one day mentioned in the New Testament that is specified. Pastor, we have a caller that has called in with a question. Uh, Digo, I believe it is? Yes, yes. Go ahead. Welcome to the Lighthouse. And go ahead quickly with your question for Pastor Murphy. Okay, I'm, I'm asking. Um, if this, the Bible didn't say um, to keep the Sabbath holy? No, it, the Bible did say to keep the Sabbath holy. Commandments. But, it's the, command, the commandments. Yeah, that that's in the Old Testament. That's under the Old Testament yeah, but, economy. But what I'm saying, if it, it, it says not, thou shalt not kill all those different type of stuff, so why shouldn't we keep the Sabbath then? If we, we don't want anybody to kill, if we don't want anybody to commit fornication, adultery, yeah. all those stuff. Uh, it's kind of confusing to me. Well, it, it, it is can be confusing if we don't understand that um, God had an Old Testament covenant and he gave us a day that would memorize that, that particular covenant. That Old Testament covenant, according to Corinthians chapter 3, Second Corinthians, you can read it for yourself, where it talks about the that which was written in stone, it can only refer to the Ten Commandments, that that has been set aside and God has now established a new covenant. And it is this new covenant that um, the church now has a day called Sunday that is a memorial unto Christ's resurrection. The other thing is this, nowhere in the New Testament are we ever told to keep the Sabbath day holy? It's not in the New Testament. Nowhere does Paul enjoin it upon the believers. Nowhere is it mentioned as in all the list of sins that you find in the New Testament. There's not once that Paul or any other New Testament character, writer, uh, indicates that it was sin not to keep the Sabbath. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, so there's no place in the New Testament that is to talk about the Sabbath well, in, in the Gospels, of course, there's reference to, the, to the, the, the Sabbath. And again, you can understand why that took place. Because our Lord had to come to fulfill the law. He was born under the law. And um, in order to, be, uh, to fulfill the law, um, he was born under the, the age of law. And he had to um, literally fulfill the law so that he fulfilled the law for us. And so when he came, he had to go into the synagogues. He had to live as a Jew would live because to bring us from under the law, the law had to be fulfilled. And after the law was fulfilled for us on the behalf of Christ, fulfilled it for us, then it enabled God to set aside the law as a means of dealing with us so that we now enter the period of grace. But it was mandatory that he uh, keep all the demands of the law that we cannot keep. Let me, let me just mention one other thing here that comes to my mind very quickly. What troubles me about this emphasis on one day, uh, whether it be the Sabbath or whatever, is that the law is a composite of ten commandments. You break one, you break all. And yeah, so, that's, that's true. those who are depending on keeping the Sabbath <laughs> as a means of getting them into glory, uh, I am I am very much convinced that it's far easier to keep the law than it is to keep the other nine commandments. Yeah, so here are people so absorbed keeping the, the law and uh, the other aspects of the law they, they, they might be breaking. So if you're depending on the law and keeping the Sabbath particularly as your hope, uh, I think your hope no, is very that's, slim, that's, sir. That, that's not me. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this in the end. Um, I believe what you're saying, right? But I believe also in 
the Sabbath uh-huh. and keeping all the commandments. That's uh-huh. what that's my belief. Yeah, but I'm I'm often listen listen like every day. Yeah, not really every day, but. Majority of the time, I love the stories and the, and the, and the program, so uh-huh. you know, I'll keep on listening. Well, Digo, thank you very much for listening to The Lighthouse, and I'm, I'm honored that you called in this evening. And I have a quick question for Pastor Digo. Thank you again for the call. Uh, Pastor, if keeping the Sabbath and keeping the commandments doesn't make me a Christian, mm. what is it that allows me to know for sure that I'm a Christian? What makes me a Christian? Christianity and putting one's faith and trust in Christ, um, that is a very gist and essence of what it is to be a believer or what it is to be a Christian. It hasn't, has nothing to do with day, has nothing to do with church. It has to do with a personal relationship with Christ. I or you or any other person becomes a Christian when that person comes under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit about his sin that individual is willing to repent of his sin, and that person is now willing to put their faith and trust in Christ as the means of a right relationship between themselves and God. Um, You have Christ. If you have him, you have salvation. If you have everything else and you don't have him, you're without salvation. The key to being a believer, the key to being a Christian, is knowing Christ as your Savior and putting your complete trust and faith in him. That and that alone is what makes a person a Christian. If we aren't under the commandment to keep the Sabbath, and the Sabbath being Saturday, then do I need to go to church? Well, uh, again, what does the Bible say? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, chapter 13, it says, Forsake not the ascending of yourselves together. Uh, Man didn't invent the church. Man did not create the church. Uh, church is not man's concept. The church is a divine institution that Christ said he would build. And part of the reason why you need to go to church is because you need fellowship. You need to be edified through the preaching of the word. Uh, but you are not a lone ranger in the Christian faith. You need to be able to socialize with believers, get to know believers. You need to be able to minister using your gifts within the local church. So... Uh, for anyone that would suggest that I can, uh, I, I can be a Christian and stay home, I don't need to go to church, uh, that would, you would be classified as a disobedient believer. Uh, the, the gentleman that called, I wanted to say something uh, in addition to how I responded to him. Uh, all of the commandments in the Decalogue are repeated and expanded on in some form in the New Testament with the exception of the Sabbath. So, um, the reason why we honor one God, the reason why we, we don't steal, we don't commit adultery, we don't, do, uh, we don't murder, etc. Again, all of those commandments are repeated in the New Testament and elaborated and expanded on. The only command within the Decalogue that's not expanded or explained or insisted on in the, in the New Testament is the Sabbath. And again, you can see why. Because the Sabbath day was a day that was set aside to be a memorial unto the Old Covenant. And uh, the New Covenant has come into place since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why Sunday is the particular day that honors His resurrection. So the explanation for why we would still keep the uh, endeavor to keep the, the moral law 
and the principles of moral law is because those principles are repeated in the New Testament. Finally, the spirit behind the Sabbath, which involved two things, rest and worship, is fulfilled in Sunday for the church, for the believer. It is to rest and worship as well that we uh, we honor uh, those same principles. So the spirit of the law in its totality is fulfilled within the New Testament church. It's just the, the, the letter of the law, especially in, re- in regards to the Sabbath, uh, does not find fulfillment in the New Testament church, but the spirit and the principles are fulfilled in the New Testament church. You referenced the Decalogue, that being the Ten Commandments. Yeah. God gave hundreds of commandments mm-hmm. throughout the Mosaic Law, why is it that the Ten Commandments are so well-known in our Western society, but yet we don't follow these hundreds of other commandments? Well, again, when you go to uh, the book of Colossians, uh, you'll discover that uh, when Christ died, uh, that a lot of the old system of laws, ceremonial laws, ritual laws, laws that relate to, to worship, such as sacrifice, um, certain particular feast days, etc., etc., uh, those ceremonial laws and those ritualistic laws were done away with because they were foreshadowing uh, some aspect of Christ's death, uh, some aspect of his life or his ministry. And so those things have uh, passed away in the sense that they've been set aside. The, he's the substance. They were the shadow. They were types of him. Now that he's come, there's no need to go back to the shadow. Um, but in case of the moral law now, uh, the moral law is an expression of God's character, and um, they relate to ethical and moral principles which are rooted in God's holiness, uh, with the exception of the Sabbath, which is a ceremonial law, a particular day. Uh, all the other commandments are, are virtually moral laws. So those carry over. And by the way, if God has instituted the first uh, covenant, uh, he has a right to change the uh, old covenant and create a new covenant which he had promised even in the Old Testament and of course uh, during the communion service we are reminded of this new covenant when Christ when we take the communion and we partake of the the grape vines or the fruit of the vine uh, when we partake of that we do, uh, it is said there that this uh, blood is the new covenant part of the new covenant now as a covenant God he has a right to take some elements from the old uh, covenant if he so desires and transfer those into the new covenant and that is where the moral law comes in what is the old testament good for now or can we just throw away the old testament and just abide by the new testament what we do with the old testament is we try to extract principles um, for example uh, when paul is writing to, to timothy uh, he goes back and he talks about you should not muzzle the ox uh, and there the apostle paul is talking about the whole matter of the support of the local pastor, and that um, um, he labors and he is rightfully entitled to proper remuneration. But the the argument that Paul used there is that the ox in the Old Testament that would grind the corn, uh, he was given the liberty to partake of the corn. And so Paul argues the principle there that the labor is worthy of his hire. So notice he's using an Old Testament illustration, but he extracts a biblical uh, uh, principle that is as relevant to this as it was then. So that's the purpose of a lot of those Old Testament. The other thing is that one of the greatest studies that you can ever do as a believer that will confirm your faith almost to the, uh, indelibly 
is uh, a study of the Old Testament types to see how uh, in the Old Testament, whether in the sacrifices, whether in the feast days, uh, whether it has to do with individuals or events or uh, a particular uh, object, how that object, how that event, how that sacrifice, uh, how that ceremony was a, a, a type of, of, the, of Christ who was to come. Uh, I think that is one of the greatest confirmatory ways of uh, cementing your faith to do a study in Old Testament types. And I think in that way, uh, the value of the Old Testament well comes up very, very clearly. The other thing, of course, is, is prophecy, uh, with the Old, Old Testament prophecies that are, were fulfilled and are yet to be fulfilled. Again, it helps to cement your faith. When you say a type, you are meaning, or can you define a type? Yeah. A type is a, um, normally a, you find... You, you know what a type is normally by a reference in the New Testament to something in the Old Testament. For example, uh, in Corinthians, Paul talks about Christ was that rock that followed the people. Uh, and you recall in the, in the Old Testament, uh, when they struck the rock, water came out. Uh, that was a representation of Christ who would give people living water. Another reference is um, John chapter 3, where it talks about as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness. And again, that takes you back to the Old Testament when, in disobedience to God, uh, God has sent fiery serpents to, to, uh, that would bite the people and they would die. And then they were told to put a serpent on a pole. And when they looked towards the, the serpent in faith, they would be healed. That's a type. Um, uh, there are other types. Um, Joseph is a type. Uh, he is, first of all, come to his brethren to bring deliverance, and he's rejected. But the second time, he's accepted. Uh, he's a type of Christ. Who, so is there anything in the Old Testament that is extra, that's fluff that we don't need? Uh, I suppose you might say that in the sense that there are a lot of genealogies that to us in the Western world, we don't see the necessity of the genealogies. But then again, the genealogies are absolutely essential because it is through these genealogical tables that we're able to trace who the Messiah will be. Um uh, so it's very hard to say it's just fluff. I just think that it served its purpose. And now that uh, God has now progressively been revealing more and more. So the Old Testament is just the pictorial book and that God showed us in pictures what was going to happen. The New Testament is the didactic book. It's where God takes those pictures and put those pictures and propositions in, in, in words so it, it serves two different purposes. So the reference that says all Scripture is given by inspiration and uh, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that applies to both the Old and the New Testament. As a matter of fact, when that verse was quoted, there was no New Testament. So clearly Paul okay. is referring to the Old Testament. Interesting uh, point, very interesting yeah, point. Yeah. We have a question, Pastor, sure. from a listener sent it via WhatsApp from Antigua. Is the Seventh-day Adventist Church a cult? They preach that you can go to heaven if you keep the Sabbath. If that's what they teach, and you have heard them teach that, um, they would have to be labeled uh, cultic because that is completely contrary to Scripture. Uh, no day can get you into heaven, whether it be Sunday or Saturday. Um, the Seventh-day Adventists used to be labeled as a cult, there are still some uh, Christian books that label uh, them in that same category. Uh, Dr. Walter Martin, who wrote the book Kingdom of Cults, 
uh, he came to the point where because they have revised their theological statements and their doctrinal statements and have come more in line with uh, the Christian uh, position on salvation, he had a tendency in his latter days to suggest that we should no longer consider them a cult. Uh, In my judgment, um, I think because they put so much emphasis on the Sabbath, I think really in truth and fact, it's a distraction. When people are thinking more of the Sabbath than Christ, something is wrong. Uh, if people are looking to the Sabbath rather than looking to Christ, something is wrong. Something is skewed somewhere. Uh, and I think that whether they have done it intentionally or inadvertently, uh, the fact that when people equate, uh, think of Seventh-day Adventism, they think of it only in terms of the Sabbath, I think it's a massive mistake. People should think of you first of Christ and Christ alone. and uh, The Sabbath should not take precedence over him. He deserved the preeminence. So I think there's a, it, it, there's a tendency in that direction. Um, however, when you talk to certain Seventh-day Adventists or you hear their programs, uh, you will almost believe that they are Baptists. Uh, you'll never get any idea that they differ with us on salvation by grace through faith. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've received a text from them, a book, that clearly emphasizes that salvation by grace through faith. But if you check some of the, the early writings... Uh, you will discover that they put a lot of emphasis as though your salvation is dependent on, on the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. And if you don't keep the Sabbath, uh, they once said that you will receive the mark of the beast. I am not too sure if that is still the position today. I and, read this quote off their website this last week, uh, and it's not direct, but they, they kind of vaguely refer to it. The Sabbath will be a special test in the end time. The believer will have to make a choice either to give allegiance to God, or to God's word, or to human authority. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, uh, along with that line, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists came up with a book in 1957. It was a book on question, uh, on doctrine, 700 pages. Uh, one of the things that they said in that book is this, that the Sabbath is a sign or seal of God. Uh, um God is revealed in the observance of the Sabbath day. Now, uh, the Bible says you're sealed by the Spirit. You're not sealed by any particular day. So I think that they have have a peculiar doctrine that they've embraced. I think it is very difficult for that movement to move away from that doctrine. Consequently, uh, they have got to spin Scripture uh, to make it align with their particular uh, theology and ideology, but again, uh, there's no way in the Bible where the Sabbath is a sign that you uh, that you belong to God, that you're a sign that uh, you're observing and serving the Lord. It's it's not there. Uh, they can't quote it. It's not there. Uh, and I feel that putting all this emphasis on the Sabbath is a distraction. And I really believe that there are a lot of people depending on their salvation because they keep the Sabbath. As I said a moment ago. The easiest commandment to keep is the Sabbath. You just go to church. But think about the, the other commandments. And the Bible says if you break one, you break all. So I have a problem where you're emphasizing the simplest commandment, making that the test of faith, and all these other greater greater commandments. It reminds me of what our Lord said, that they strain as a gnat and swallow a camel. I'd never, I'd never thought of the, the Sabbath debate in that context. And I'd also never thought of the Sabbath as being one of the easiest commandments to keep. Pastor Murphy, do you believe that there are born-again believers in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Oh, I have no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, I might 
surprise um, yourself and me, maybe even the audience, I think that there are safe people in most churches, um, including the Seventh-day Adventist Church. However, if a person is depending on his salvation based on observing the Sabbath, that person is not a safe person. Uh, only Christ and Christ alone can save, and only faith and trust in Christ is what saves a person. And that is why um, it is. it might seem a simple problem to some people, but it's really an, a major issue when a day becomes the cardinal uh, event in a person's life that determines a person's salvation. It takes away from the sufficiency of the death of Christ, and it puts uh, a, an event, a day, and it magnifies that day above him. And to my mind, uh, that is robbing Christ of a preeminence. And, and I think it, it really is unfortunate. But I do believe that there are people in the Adventist church, like in other churches, who are saved. But you only save, I repeat, you only save if you have put your faith and trust. And if you're depending on Christ's death and Christ's uh, the sufficiency of his sacrifice, that's the basis of salvation. That plus nothing minus nothing. What would be your advice to the born-again believer who is attending a Seventh-day Adventist church? Do you have any thought-provoking questions or concerns? Um, my, 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 I think you need to get this whole issue clarified in your mind about where the Sabbath, what role it really plays in relation to this matter of salvation. I think you need to sit down with one of your elders or one of the leaders and, and find out uh, if they're insisting that this is mandatory as a means of conversion. I think if you were to be told that that is the situation, my simple counsel to you would be to uh, find a church that honors Christ's death in its fullness and its totality in its sufficiency um, and uh, don't get wrapped up in a system that makes you totally dependent on keeping a day to, to, to get into heaven. Uh, I want, want to say uh, another thing here quickly. It's interesting that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, and Paul quotes in that passage, Numbers chapter 15, verse 32 to verse 33, 36. Of course, the Galatian heresy was the believers had come to faith and try in Christ, understood that it was under because of the grace of God. And then they were now reverting back to Judaism, all the legalistic system. And, and, and Paul warns them uh, that any attempt to go back under the legal system brings himself under curse. Because Paul quotes Numbers and says, it says, curses everyone that does not continue in the law. So if you bring yourself back under the legal system, Paul said you're bringing yourself back under curse because no man, no uh, past or future, has ever or can ever keep the law. There's only one person who can ever, who has ever kept the law, and that is Christ. And that is why when you look into the law for salvation, it is simply an impossibility. Christ did what we could not do for ourselves in fulfilling the law, and that enabled God to deal with us uh, on another basis, the basis of grace. Having met the demands of the law, He's able now to set aside the old covenant, enact a new covenant of grace, and deal with us on the basis of grace as opposed to law. But if you want to go back under the law, you bring yourself back under the curse. <laughs> Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Skipping down to verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all in them is, and rested the seventh day. Why did God have to rest? 
if he's all-powerful? Well, again, if you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, you will discover that really the the Sabbath um, really is a shadow of things to come. It really is pointing towards the rest that we will ultimately have in Christ. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about uh, Joshua not being able to give the people rest. Now, Moses is able to give the people rest. But then it reminds us that there's a rest of God, and we have entered into that rest where we put our faith and trust in Christ. So, just like all of the types in the Old Testament, we never fully understood what those represented until the full light of the New Testament came. Uh, we would not have known, for example, that the serpent that was lifted up was a, a type of Christ, or even Jacob's ladder was going to be a type of Christ, or Joseph would be a type of Christ. But now that the New Testament has come, the full light of the New Testament, and the teaching that the New Testament epistles give us, bring to light what God's intention was from the very beginning. That this rest was symbolic of that eternal rest that he was going to bring for us through faith and trust in Christ. So it, it uh, it was not only a memorial to the fact that there was creation, but there was an ultimate anti-type to come, who was Christ, and he would. Uh, that rest symbolizes on the on the Sabbath is the rest that is found, the eternal rest that is found in put of faith and trust in Christ. You're listening to that's truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, Pastor Murphy. If worshiping on Sunday is not the mark of the beast, do we know what the mark of the beast is or will be? Well, you take you back to Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 17. Uh, the scriptures speak of a, a mark that's going to be given. Um, if you read the account that is given there, it has to do with the Antichrist that is going to come. It, it, it talks about the collapse of the world's economy, and we're going to enter a cashless economy where there will not be exchange of hard currency, uh, and they will be what is called the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is the number 666. And um, we're told you'll either receive it in your right hand or your forehead. But it will be a means that give you access to accounts so that you can do business transactions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, uh, it really has to do with something that is yet future. And uh, during the what is called the Great Tribulation period, uh, during that time when the Antichrist is going to rule planet Earth. We're headed in that direction by the global economy. Uh, I think Bitcoin is a new currency that is being uh, pushed now. Uh, everybody understands that you can lose your credit card. Everybody understands you can lose your debit card. Uh, everybody understands that we need something more secure. And what more secure way to put a microchip under your hand or in your forehead that you go before, you go before a machine? It scans it. It reads exactly what how much what you've got in the account. Uh, that way, you never leave it at home. You either. never leave it at home. <laughs> never get it lost either. <laughs> yeah. But that is what the um, the mark of the beast is. It has nothing to do with, with the Sabbath. It has to do with the uh, the control of the global economy. Uh, where you have a cashless society and you have a world government and the Antichrist ruling. But to control the world economy, uh, you have to have the complete collapse of the current economic system. And um, this is, again, prophetic. Uh, we could probably deal with this at another time. But uh, the mark of the beast relates to that time of the tribulation and relates relates to the Antichrist and his system 
of coercing people to worship him, to cooperate with him, by um, making it mandatory that you receive this mark in order to have access. A listener in Antigua wants to know, regardless of which day, what does God command about a day of worship? Well, uh, take the principle uh, from the Ten Commandments, and this is this is what this is our point. Clearly, God wants man to set aside a day for him to worship. There's no question about that. In the Old Testament economy, there was a Saturday, and that was to celebrate Israel's redemption from under the Egyptian bondage. Uh, that's what the Lord told the Egyptian, told the Israelites in, in Exodus. Now. That was under the Old Covenant. There was a day when God would be worshipped. You transfer that now to uh, the fact that God has brought about a new covenant when Christ died. We too, like Israel, were redeemed. But we were not redeemed for the Egyptians. We were redeemed for the bondage of sin. It is sensible that that same principle of one day out of seven be given to the Lord. That is now carried over into the church in spirit. And that's why we observe uh, what is called Sunday, the Lord's Day. Uh, it fulfills the same purpose, rest and worship. That is what the, the Lord's Day is all about. So it is important uh, that we uh, recognize a, a, a day uh, to worship the Lord. But again, as I mentioned previously, the believer should see every day as unto the Lord. We should not uh, create some kind of a false dichotomy between one spiritual day and six that are not spiritual, that are secular. For the believer, all things are sacred. is nothing secular. Uh, we infuse into every aspect of our lives the Christian faith, whether that be a day, whether that be an event we go to, whether it be a party, whether it be our friends, whether it be working in our, our workplace, whether it be teaching, whatever we're doing, we integrate the Christian faith into whatever we're doing. And similarly, every single day, I don't think of Sunday as a special day per se. Uh, I try to make every single day a day that honors God. Uh, Sunday is that particular day when all believers come together uh, for fellowship and for worship. But I do think it's uh, good and symbolic as well to the world that we set aside uh, a time where we can honor God and uh, worship Him uh, with other believers. The name of the program is That's Truth. All right. Uh, Brother Nathan, yeah. g- give me a chance to just um, point out to the, the audience. Uh, you know, I want to get this thing cleared up in, 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 in people's mind that the Pope didn't change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, no council changed it from one day to another. Long before there was a Pope or council, 200 years before, believers were honoring the Lord's resurrection by worshiping on the first day of the week. I want to uh, take a little bit of time to quote a few of those uh, church fathers so that you can have historical support uh, for the fact that the church did not start worshiping on the Sunday because of a pope or because of some church council. For example, in the book called the Didash, which is the teaching of the apostles, written about 70 AD to 75 AD, uh, I want to quote what what those uh, what is written in that book. It says, "On the Lord's day, we gather ourselves together and break bread and give thanks." Now, this is seventy A.D. seventy five A.D. This is written in that particular document. Now, remember, if this is written in seventy A.D., uh, these events had to be taking place long before seventy A.D. You didn't have a pope before the fourth century. 
so clearly, 200 years, 250 years, the church is meeting on the Lord's Day to honor him. Uh, Barnabas, who lived around 70, 80, one of the church fathers, listen to what he said. He said, Wherefore we keep the Lord's Day with joyfulness, the day also on which Jesus rose from the dead. The, clearly, uh, the believers understood that to honor his resurrection, uh, the first day of the week was the appropriate day to do that. Uh, by the way, again, if you go into the New Testament, our Lord was resurrected on the first day of the week. Every single time our Lord met with the disciples after his resurrection, every single day, it was on the first day of the weeks. Don't tell me that doesn't have some kind of significance. Uh, furthermore, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts came on the first day of the week, Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. Uh, it was the first day of the week. Um, in addition, uh, when Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, when the believers came together, uh, it was on the first day of the week where Paul preached to the elders of Miletus when the young man fell down Eutychus and Paul had to revive him. When Paul is writing the Corinthians and he's asking them to make a collection, he, t he tells them again on the first day of the week. And then when you come to the book of Revelations, you have reference to that the Lord appeared to him on the, f on the Lord's day. Now that is not the Sabbath. No way in the Old Testament or the New Testament uh, is the Sabbath called the Lord's Day. As a matter of fact, only twice in the New Testament, that word Lord, which is really in the Greek language, Lordian, uh, is found twice. It is found in, in uh, Corinthians chapter 11, where it refers to the Lord's Supper. The same word, the Lordian Supper. And, and in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about the Lord. It's the Lordian day. It's not the Sabbath, nor is it what is called the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord in the Old Testament is that coming day of judgment. Uh, it has to do with wrath, and, and, uh, etc. So when you read about the Lord's Day, it's that unique day. And that's why in the early church fathers, they're always speaking of the Lord's Day as being the first day of the week. Let me read another quote for you very quickly. Ignatius, who lived from 110 AD, he wrote, If then those who walked in the ancient practices, no longer observing Sabbaths, but fashioning their lives after the Lord's Day, and which our life also rose through him. Once again, the connection between the Lord's Day and our Lord's resurrection. I could quote several of these uh, uh, to you to confirm clearly that it is a false statement to assert that any pope or any council changed the day of worship uh, clearly long before, 200 years before. Here are believers meeting to honor the Lord's resurrection, and they're doing it on the first of the week to honor that resurrection. Had a listener from Antigua just send a WhatsApp wanting you to explain Colossians 2.16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Well, I think I might have alluded to that before. Um, uh, but clearly what the Apostle Paul I is saying is that this is the exercise of the believer's conscience in regards uh, to these matters. Um, later on in the same book of Colossians, he will say that uh, Christ nailed the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, uh, putting them out of the way. So a lot of what was practiced in the Old Testament, Christ fulfilled because there were shadows of things to come. 
uh, there were types of things to come. Now that the substance has come, there's no need for the shadow. I remember some years ago hearing Dr. Walter Martin uh, speak on a message, and he was using an illustration of um, here is, you know, uh, a person is waiting for someone to come off a plane. And um, the person is about to come off the plane, and then the sun casts a shadow on the tarmac, and the persons who are waiting hugs up the shadow, and the substance is there, but they go after the shadow. It was a humorous example of, uh, and he was trying to get across a point that now that the substance has come, who is Christ, uh, we look to him, we no longer look to the shadows. Today, people still want to hold on to the shadows where the substance has come. But clearly in this passage that you're talking about, uh, we have the Christian liberty to decide according to conscience what we regard as the proper and right day uh, to worship. And all of these things were, uh, he said, which are shadows of things to come. So um, it is just giving the believer the, the right to use conscience to dictate uh, between him and his God what day he should worship on. And that's why I am against any imposition, any legalistic system that insists that a particular day is, is mandated per se. Question from Antigua. Should a Christian work on Sunday? Well, what a practical question. Well, it, it depends. Um, I think that uh, if a Christian wants to honor the Lord's Day, he should do everything in his power to be in the Lord's house. But let's face it, there are certain jobs that require a person working on, on Sunday. Nurses, uh, doctors, um, firemen, um, um, there may be some others that doesn't come to mind immediately, but there are certain jobs that make it mandatory that a person uh, work on, on Sunday. Uh, we are not in a legal system. Uh, just like our Lord, one of the things that he condemned the the religious people in his day was to uh, forget that the Sabbath was made for man and man not for the Sabbath. And he clearly allowed acts of mercy and things that were necessary. Uh, here are people who, if a donkey fell into a well, uh, they would break the Sabbath to rescue the donkey. But he goes into the temple and the man is have a wooded hand. He commands the man's hand to be healed and they claim that he has broken the Sabbath. And he had to show them the hypocrisy of that, that man is far more important than uh, an animal. And I would say to you that as a Christian, um, if it is necessary, do it. But again, my recommendation to you would try to work yourself into a situation where that is not necessary. Maybe find a, a different type of job if that falls within your, your gifts and your abilities. But uh, you, you cannot use the excuse that you, uh, you know, it's the only job you can get on Sunday. You're not going to work. You've got your family to take care of. You have a responsibility to your family. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Yeah. So don't use Sunday as an excuse not to find yourself gainly employed. But if you are employed, you find it imposing on your capacity to, to go to church. I would go and talk to the boss if you can get a shift with somebody else, uh, even with the Seventh-day Adventist who goes to church on Saturday, but he works on Sunday, uh, you work something out with him. But I, I don't think that, um, uh, not I don't think, I know that the Lord will not be displeased if to bring, keep uh, life and limb together to meet the needs of your family. You have to work, uh, hotel workers as well, I should have mentioned, some of them have to work on Sundays, etc., etc. So um, there's no sin there. But uh, if you can avoid it, 
and uh, you don't want to be out of church too frequently because you have a ministry. Church is not just going to going to church and get fed uh, through the preaching of the word. Church is about you ministering to others and uh, being a brother and a sister to another brother and sister and using your talents and your gifts within the local assembly to edify the saints. So to sum up our topic this evening on the Sabbath. We've got to understand what's the purpose of the law. The, the law was never designed to save anybody. The Bible makes it qu- quite clear. You go to the Bible, you'll find that there's three, there are four basic purposes of the law. It's to silence man that every mouth may be shot. It's to synthesize man to his guilt that the whole world might become guilty. And it's to show man his sin by the law of the knowledge of sin. And finally, the law was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. That was God's purpose. And so let us stick with what the purpose is. You're listening to That's Truth. Thank you for joining us. Be sure you tune in next week. We're going to be talking about the topic of abortion. What does the Bible say about it? And the other ramifications of abortion and what it means for society. Thanks again for listening to That's Truth. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.